Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Medicine, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMedicine.com. If I've never met you before, if you're here, if you're watching online, uh, my name's Scott, and I'm the pastor at Christ Church. We're in a series called Body Life, which you can see on our cover with our cool wooden Vitruvian man. Uh, where we're digging into what the Bible means when it says that we, the church, are the body of Christ and individually members of it, which Ian so eloquently read a second ago. Uh, Last week, we began by meditating on the body of Christ and thinking about how significant it is when God calls the church the body of Christ. And this week, we are thinking about how profound it is that God calls us members So we're kind of thinking about us as individuals this week. And to help us understand what the Bible means by this, uh, I want to begin by sharing a quote which I shared about three years ago uh, from one of my favorite movies, which is Hugo. Has anybody ever seen the movie Hugo? Hugo's great. Your whole family can watch it. Uh, It's Martin Scorsese, directed movie, and I love it. Um, It's about an orphan boy who lives in the Paris train station, and he works on the big clock in the Paris train station. Um, His late father had worked on clocks and a bunch of machines, and so he works on this clock uh, as a way of trying to reconnect with his father, because his father was a tinker of machines. But also, he does it because for him, the clock and the machinery is a metaphor for how he as an orphan boy is trying to figure out how he fits in in the world. And he explains this to one of his friends later on in the movie. Here's the quote. He says this, I'd imagine the whole world was one big machine. Machines never come with any extra parts, you know. They always come with the exact amount they need. So I figured, if the entire world was one big machine, I couldn't be an extra part. I had to be here for some reason. Hugo feels intuitively that he's a part built for a machine. Okay, let me give you one more example of this in art. When I was in college, there was a band called the Fleet Foxes that was cool. All right? I don't know if they're cool anymore. Sadly, I think I'm out of touch at this point, but they were cool like 10 years ago. Uh, But they wrote a song. They're not a Christian band or anything, but they wrote a song called The Helplessness Blues. Completely different people, completely different art form, but listen to what they sing in this song called The Helplessness Blues. I was raised up believing I was somehow unique, like a snowflake, distinct among snowflakes, unique in each way you can see. And now, after some thinking, I'd say I'd rather be a functioning cog in some great machinery serving something beyond me. Amen. And then he's honest enough to say in the chorus, but I don't. I don't know what that will be. You hear the same longings in that song as in Hugo? I don't want to be a snowflake all by myself. I want to be a small, I'm going to be a small part that fits into a bigger thing that serves something beyond me. Now, it's interesting that both of their analogies in our technological age are about machines. I find that fascinating. And machinery. Um, They're parts looking for a machine to belong to. 
But we could just as well say that they are members looking for the body that they belong to. Or we could say they are individuals longing for communion. But both of those quotes contain a longing and a sadness because they don't know what they're intended for. They know they're a part that's meant to fit into something, but they don't know the thing that they're meant to fit into. And I would call that state of being the dismembered self. If I was gonna write a book on this, that would be my title, the dismembered self. The dismembered self knows that they are meant to play a part in something, but they feel cut off from that thing. They don't know how they fit into it. The dismembered self aches to be membered, to be fused into the thing that they feel like they were created for. And I think this is one of the most important parts about what it means to be human. And I think our culture does not address this enough and does not know how to address this part of us. Who has an answer for the fleet foxes? He's like, I don't know what that's going to be, but this is what I, this is what I desire. Many, would peop, many people would say in our culture that we are not a part that needs anything, that by ourselves we are complete. And so the encouragement is you don't need anybody, you don't need anything else. You're it, man. You have everything you need inside of you. How many Disney movies in the past like 20 years have said that to the character? Don't worry about anybody else. You're it. Others would say, no, we are a part, but then we all vastly disagree on what we fit into and how we fit into it, right? And yet, I think no one can deny that so many people today, especially as COVID and the past year and a half have amplified it, feel dismembered. When you hear that, there's something in you that just goes, yes. And social media preys on our dismemberment, but social media does not solve it. Zuckerberg cannot member you back together again. I'm dogging, <laughs> I've been dogging on a lot of tech guys. I'm not meaning to do that. I love technology too, but we all know that we are, we're not membered in, in social media. Humanity is like one great big mess of scattered parts. You know that box in your garage that has all the random screws and stuff and you don't know what they're for? Sometimes this is what humanity feels like. We are a bunch of lost puzzle pieces. How does the Bible speak into this part of human experience? What part are you? What do you fit into? We're gonna study 1 Corinthians 12 which speaks into this so profoundly. But before we do that, I want to begin by starting in Genesis, where Jesus goes back to in the gospel passage, because all good theology begins in the first few chapters of Genesis. One of the really cool things about the biblical creation story, if you've never read it before, is that God creates everything in pairs. They're different. They're complementary parts and they do this dance together that form this really beautiful unity in the creation story. So you get the heavens and the earth at the same time. You get water and land at the same time. You get the sun and the moon, the greater light and the lesser light. You get fish and birds. You even saw those pairing itself 
in Psalm 8 today that we read. But when God creates Adam, at first he's just by himself. And then some of you might know, God says something really famous. He called all these other pairs good, right? And God looked at it and goes, oh, this is good. But then he sees man is alone, and what does he say? It's not good for man to be alone. In my whole life, I thought God was just like, oh, Adam looks sad. Like, oh, he needs a friend, you know? Or like, he needs help to carry out his tasks. There's all kinds of weird ways we can think, why is God saying it's not good for Adam to be alone? But when God says that, it's way deeper and more profound than Adam is lonely. God is saying, Adam, man, by himself, is dismembered. He's one part. He's not the whole thing. And it's not good, God says, for him to remain just as a part. So then God says, I will make a helper, and the Hebrew word means fit, corresponding to him, the other part, which means, watch this, check out how I'm going to make a different puzzle piece, which will perfectly unite with his to make one unified flesh, one body. And so it is, we're introduced to Eve, the mother of all living. Before Adam meets Eve, he's dismembered. And he searches through creation to try to find the machine he's looking for, the body he was created for. But then when he sees Eve, he says, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And whenever I read it, I always think, at last my love, right? That song? Now you will too, whenever you read that part. Adam and Eve hold fast together and they become one flesh. So if Adam, pre-Eve, is a picture of the dismembered self, along with Hugo and the Fleet Foxes, Adam with Eve is a picture of the membered self. Before there was an ache, it's not good for man to be alone. But the cry of the membered self is, at last, this is what I was made for. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. So what does Genesis teach us about all this? couple things we can take from this. First of all, and hear this, this is really important. It teaches us that from the beginning, God created you in such a way that you are incomplete by yourself. Let me say that again. God created you in such a way that you are incomplete by yourself. You're just one part. By yourself, to use God's words bluntly, you're not good. By yourself, you're dismembered. And second, it teaches us that from the very beginning, God created you and intended you to come together in communion. To have that part of you fulfilled by joining other parts. And yes, we see all these things pictured for us and lived out in Christian marriage and in our physical sexuality which for those of you who are new to Christianity, is why Christians have such a high view of sex and marriage and a unique view of sex and marriage because these things for us reach to the very depth of our being. Funny enough, St. Paul even uses membership language when he talks about sexuality in 1 Corinthians 6. And the more you read the Bible, you you realize that sex 
and marriage and church and God and communion and Eucharist all overlap so much. So who knew that sex was really about church membership, right? Who knew? But Paul tells us, very importantly, that marriage and sex are not the main goal of life. Paul himself was not married. Rather, marriage, the Bible teaches us, is a God-given picture. What we're seeing in Adam and Eve is a lesson that's meant to teach us about what we were ultimately created for. And Ephesians 5 makes that clear when it says that marriage is a profound mystery that refers to what? Christ and the church. And that means, you guys still tracking with me? Rhetorical question, don't answer that if you're not. And that means that just as Adam and Eve were created for each other to come together, listen, you and I were created to come together with God and one another to be one. You and I were literally fashioned for the purpose of communion in a body. Remember how Eve was created to correspond to Adam? Think even physically how a man and a woman's body are perfectly complementary. Not to be too blunt about it, but a man's members alone can accomplish nothing. A woman's members by herself can accomplish nothing. It's when the two commune together that they produce life. If we are following the Bible's logic, think about this, then it means that God created humanity, all of us, to correspond to him, to one another, in his body. And that means that apart from him in his body, to use God's words again, we're not good. We're dismembered. But likewise, it means that in God, you're able to be who you were truly meant to be. We were created for communion with God. Some of you are familiar with the famous Augustinian quote, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. We could just as well say our bodies will remain dismembered until they find their membership in Christ's body. And we cry out at last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. You can experience membership in marriage. We do think sacramentally about marriage and sexuality, but Jesus is very clear. Earthly marriage is not eternal. Not everybody's meant to get married. Jesus wasn't married, Paul wasn't married. You can experience membership in a club, or a school, or a team, or a workplace, and that is part of your, that is body life. Body life happens everywhere in society and culture. It's beautiful, that's how God created us. But they too, all of those will fade. They will break apart, they will be forgotten. There is only one communion that is eternal. There's only one body that's been resurrected. Amen? And that is the body of Christ. So like the song we sing sometimes in worship, I was made by you, I was made for you, and I am unfulfilled without full communion. And the gospel is about how God sent his only son to come find a fragmented, scattered, dismembered humanity 
and in himself through his cross and resurrection to take all of humanity back together into communion, to reconcile it to him and to each other. And so it is that the Bible ends with a wedding where what God created to come together finally comes together at the end of all things. Okay, you guys still with me? That was a lot. But I was worried that if we just went straight to 1 Corinthians 12, we would just take the body and member language to be like a metaphor for spiritual gifts. Or this is how people with different Enneagram numbers learn to love each other and like exist together in a small group. Like, oh, you're a nine, I'm an eight, that's so cute, you know? I think in some ways, 1 Corinthians 12, when it uses body member language, is a metaphor for spiritual gifts. But I hope you can see it's much, much deeper than that. You being a member cuts into the fabric of who you are and your very being. This is the only thing in the world that can adequately answer physically spiritually, emotionally, eternally, the questions that the Fleet Foxes and Hugo are posing. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. Paul's logic in this passage, he's doing his own illustrations, so it doesn't need a lot of explaining. Um, But he begins by very clearly laying out Uh, kind of what he's talking about in verse 12. So look at verse 12 with me. If you have a Bible, grab it. Open up to 1 Corinthians 12. If you're at home, grab a Bible and you can follow along with us. And if not, it's in your bulletin. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So the body of Christ The church has many individual members who are one in Jesus, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, American or Palestinian, men or women, all of us come together to be one in his body. Paul's clear that we enter into membership in the body through baptism. Notice it says you're baptized into Christ. And Paul is clear to show that the way all of us who are so different become one The thing that brings and unites us as one is because we all drink of one spirit. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit, one God and Father over all. But then he goes on to talk about the implications of what this means, and this is where it gets super practical. Um, Have you guys ever played Two Truths and a Lie? Two Truths and a Lie is where it's like a parlor game and you say three things and somebody has to pick out what's false. Well, Paul has gone to play two truths and two lies uh, in this passage, and he's going to point out two lies of the dismembered self. The devil longs for us to remain dismembered, and so he weaves these lies into us that keep us from membership in Christ's body, and Paul's going to combat them with two truths. So here's two truths and two lies in 1 Corinthians 12. Here's the first lie, and if you're a note taker, You can underline this or write it down. Here's the first lie of the dismembered self. I do not belong to the body. That's right out of the Bible and Paul repeats it twice. Look at verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, 
because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. If you want, you can even underline that in your bulletin. I don't belong to the body. I don't belong to the body. And this is the primal emotion that rears its ugly head wickedly in middle school and never goes away. I don't fit in. I am a spare part. I'm a throwaway screw in a box of Ikea furniture that's left over after the nightstand has been put together. I'm not needed. I'm not wanted. The body is complete without me. I don't add anything. I do not belong. One of the main reasons Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth, we know, is because it had divisions in the body. The body life of this early church in Corinth was threatened, and so we know Paul was making a point of speaking into this untruth because there were people in this little early church who actually felt that way. He calls it out twice. I don't belong to the body. I don't belong to the body. So these people in this early church probably had come to Jesus, but when they looked at this little congregation, they thought, oh, I don't, I don't belong here. I don't matter here. And we can tell from what Paul says that one of the main things causing them to think that was comparison. The foot is comparing herself to the hand. Oh, I'm not a hand. I don't, I don't matter. And then notice the ear is comparing himself to the eye. Oh, eyes are so cool. Eyes get all the attention. Nobody wants an ear. This is, a, this is an eye church. One of the early church fathers points out that the eye doesn't compare himself to the foot. You compare yourself to the person that's closest to you, but not quite you. So ears and eyes are duking it out, and hands and feet are duking out, which is really interesting. Teddy Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. And we can also say comparison is the thief of body life. And if this lie was present in Corinth 2,000 years ago, we are just as susceptible to this lie. I don't belong to the body. I'm not needed. The people in this body, they're all this personality. I'm not one of them. They're really into these things. People at this church are obsessed with Lord of the Rings. I hate Lord of the Rings. That was a joke. Nobody can hate Lord of the Rings. <laughs> People in this church are all impressive in these ways. They don't need me. They don't want me. There's no place for me. Or to get where the lie gets even more destructive, Jesus doesn't need me. God wants these kinds of people who are like this and act like this and have these kinds of backgrounds, but I'm not one of those people. Brothers and sisters, that's a lie. Amen? That's a lie. God created all people, and he hates nothing he has made. If that lie has burrowed itself under your skin, let the word of God identify it for what it is. It's not true. It's a lie. Because here's the truth that he combats the lie with. The truth is this. The body needs your member. The body needs your member. Look at verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? 
If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body. Notice it says God arranged the members of the body. Each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Paul's point is simple. The fact that you are different is why you belong. If everybody was the same, we would be like a Mr. Potato Head with all ears. And I think we can all agree that would be a grotesque Mr. Potato Head. (laughs) God has chosen to create us different in different ways so that the body can function to its fullness. God is the one who apportions his gifts. He is wise in how he apportions his gifts. You belong. I heard a pastor say one time, if you go to a church and you see that no one else is like you, then that is even more of a reason for you to stay because that means they need you even more. Each of us are beautifully and uniquely different. We see different things, we offer different things, and God created created us that way. So on a universal, primal level, know that you belong. The body needs your member. You are required. You're not a spare part. Hallelujah. Now here's the second lie of the dismembered self. And Paul, he quotes that first lie twice, and he quotes this one twice again. And that is this. I have no need of you. I have no need of you. If Paul first targets those who have a low view of themselves, here he's targeting people who have too high a view of themselves. Look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. If the first lie is, I'm, a, I'm an extra throwaway part. This lie is, I'm the fool machine. These are the people who think, I'm fine, thank you very much. I don't need all these people. I don't need to be in the church. I'm not accountable. I don't need them. In Corinth, again, it's interesting that one of the issues with that was that with the divisions, there were all these cool, rich people who didn't like the fact that they had to be in communion with different people than themselves. And like in church today, in the very earliest church, we see these rifts socioeconomically, racially, all these different things. We even learned from 1 Corinthians that it had gotten so bad that people were having different times for the Lord's Supper. So like other people were like, well, let's just get together with these people in our church because these are the ones we really like to have Eucharist and then other people can do it later. We're not doing that in our church, but we are susceptible to the same lie. Amen? We believe the untruth that by ourselves we are good, and this is hugely pushed on us by our culture. We have everything we need. We don't need God. We don't need the church. The church, I have been told to my face, is for weak-minded people that don't fit in and need to be told what to do. But this lie also manifests itself in the church, according to Paul, when certain members shun other members because they don't like them. Or they, they, they wouldn't choose to hang out with them. Oh, you're a toe? Gross. I'm a finger. I hate toes. But here's the truth to that lie. The first truth is that your, body, your member needs the body. Or wait, whatever it was. Here's the, the truth that combats this. Your member needs the body. You need the body of Christ. 
Look at verse 22. Ian emphasized this when he read it. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Every member in the body of Christ is indispensable. You cannot say, I have no need of you. We all need each other. Your discipleship and your flourishing as a human being is dependent upon the different parts of the body. Notice he says at the end, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. God has put everything so together that there may be no division in the body, but everybody has the same care for one another. None of us were created to do life alone or to do faith alone. Life and faith and everything is way too hard. You can't handle it by yourself. We need each other. So what do you need to hear this morning? And I'm actually asking you this, not to answer me back. Which lie are you more prone to believe? That you're not needed or that you don't need other people? I don't belong. I have no need of you. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. The body needs your member. The body needs your member. And your member needs the body. So let me finish by saying once again that when the Bible calls you to membership in his body, it's not an opportunity to join a club. It's not a subscription to add to Netflix and Amazon Prime. It is quite literally what you were created for. And to shun the invitation to membership in Christ's body is to choose dismemberment, is to remain alone. And God says, that's not good. That's not the way that you were created. Let me be clear also. When the Bible uses this language, it is much bigger than Christ Church Madison. When we're baptized into Christ, what Paul's talking about here, and when we commune with Christ at his table, and when we thank him in our prayer of thanksgiving liturgically at the end of this service for assuring us that we are living members in the body of his son, we're talking about becoming one with God and with all the saints for all eternity, one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Christ Church Madison is not the end goal of why you were created. The body of Christ is. But, like we talked about last week, the way that you commune with Christ himself and all the saints is always, always through a local body. Membership in Christ is always sacramentally experienced through local body life. So dive in, get excited. Come to our membership meeting this afternoon. And if you're visiting from another church, dive in there. Get excited there, where God has you. And if you're here or if you're watching and you're not a Christian and you're hearing these things and you're tired of feeling dismembered and you feel like I resonate so deeply with what Hugo and the Fleet Foxes says about longing to be a part of something, feeling like I was built to be a part of something, Hear that Jesus' arms and the fellowship of his body is wide open. That is why Jesus came. Jesus' call is to repent and believe and be baptized into him and experience that fellowship.
So talk with me after the service. If you're watching, send me an email. I would love to chat with you about this. Go pray with a prayer minister later on in the service. So next week, we're going to be thinking about how we reconcile all these beautiful truths about what it means for us to be a member and the church to be a body with the fact that the church is so often messy and immature and broken. How does all this not just wrecked by church on the ground? So get excited about that. We're going to dig into the scriptures to see what the Bible has to say about that. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.